Hello and welcome to Season 3 of Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident. The theme for Season 3 is better. Better everything, from AI to being fairer, big ideas to body language, if it's important to being a fairer person, business or planet, an expert and I talked about it. What follows is an edited recording, as Mouthwash is a live show created just for Twitter spaces, so the quality is more conference call than podcast sound booth. Sponsors are really important to me, so please take a moment to visit Ecology. They planted a tree in the TBD forest for every live listener we had. And if you want to offset your carbon footprint, you can do that easily. Just nip to ecology.com forward slash TBD conference and sign up. That's E-C-O-L-O-G-I dot com forward slash TBD conference. Also, I was honoured to partner with and test out Spaces Dashboard, the helpful tool that's making it super easy to find great audio on Twitter. Check them out on Twitter at Spaces Dashboard, all one word, and mount from Mouthwash for a surprise. Mouthwash is the audio show of TBD, the conference that people call TED without the bullshit. It's going hybrid March 31st, 2022. So get your tickets for the in-person event or the global live stream at universe.com forward slash TBD conference. Universe.com forward slash TBD conference. Use the code Mouthwash. You'll even get 25% off every ticket you buy. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Sign up to the newsletter on my Twitter profile. That's Paul underscore underscore Armstrong. And you'll get informed about all future seasons of Mouthwash. Trust me, you'll want to hear what we have coming up. Finally, as with all good podcasts, please share it on a network you trust. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to season three of Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident. Monday to Friday with me, Paul Armstrong, creator of TVD Conference. The conference attendees say is like Ted without the BS. It's a strange time around the world. Zoom fatigue to climate change, the great resignation to the metaverse. A lot seems scary, unfamiliar, and people are rethinking everything from core beliefs to the way they work. A core theme actually seems to be achieving a desire to improve or make things, including themselves, better. So that's the theme for season three, better. Better everything from AI to PR, body language to open innovation. I'm speaking to massive brains and execs from Walmart to Babylon about making you and the world we live in a better place. Season three includes best-selling authors, security experts, speech coaches, and Silicon Valley startups who want to reverse the aging process. It's a great season so far. It's got lots more to go. Make sure you get the SMS reminders so you don't miss a minute of it. Okay, on with tonight's show. Today's smart cookie is the formidable Duff McDonald, journalist and author of Released Tickled, A Common Sense Guide to the Present Moment. Welcome to the show, Duff. How are you doing? Uh, Thanks for having me, Paul. I'm doing great. Life is good. Excellent. This is your first uh, Twitter space, is that right? (laughs) It is. You had to uh, sort of take me through where I was going here. I wouldn't have been able to find it on my own. So thank you. No worries. You've nailed it. And listening close, this is where we're going to explain what Twitter spaces is. Okay. Um, Before I chat more with Duff, uh, let's talk a bit about where we are and how you can get involved. Twitter spaces is still new to a lot of people, so let's explore it. Um, On the mobile app, the top bit is called the Nest, and that's where I or any speaker can post tweets like the ones you see up there already. Mouthwash uses this to discuss them in a section we call Desert Island Tweets. Uh, You can click through, follow accounts, links, anything like that. It's pretty handy and a unique feature to Twitter Spaces that a lot of other people are desperately trying to copy. Uh, You can have up to 12 speakers in any space, including the host, and request the mic in any space in the bottom left-hand corner. Mouthwash is a bit more of a show format, though, so if you want to ask a question, DM me or uh, use the hashtag MouthwashShow, and I'll do my best to weave in the questions. Uh, if you need accessibility features, Twitter's built in loads of those for you. Click the three dots at the top of the app to find the captions and other accessibility features there. They're actually really, really good. Okay, time to help me and the world out. Let's share out the space, okay? So if you simply click the tweet in the nest and hit retweet, you'll be doing the world a massive favor. Alternatively, if you want, create your own tweet via the staple in the up arrow. That's where you share stuff as well. Um, You can let the world know you found something great. And apart from my ego, uh, the world's relying on you because every person you entice into the space means another tree gets planted in the TBD forest, courtesy of the smart cookie at Ecology. Um, Thanks to Ecology, TBD is really planted over about 10,000 trees. So it's really a subscription for the planet we're signed up for. 
When you sign up to Ecology, you can grow a forest and reduce your carbon footprint through verified gold standard climate solutions. You get your own profile, uh, track your impact, set low carbon goals, and you watch your own forest grow. It's very, very cool. Um, if you want to join Ecology uh, to work to reduce the world's emissions by 2040 in half uh, through collective action, head over ecology.com forward slash TBD conference and you spell Ecology, E-C-O-L-O-G-I. Uh, very, very cool. We're also incredibly happy and proud to be sponsored by Spaces Dashboard, the company that's helping good audio be found. They provide a new, fast and easy way to find all the latest live and upcoming amp uh, conversations on Twitter Spaces. Uh, Spaces Dashboard really does help you find good audio at any time of the day, so definitely check it out. All you've got to do, follow them on Twitter, at Spaces Dashboard, and you'll get yourself an invite. Okie doke, that's enough plugs. Uh, I think we should get on with the show. Um, okay. One of the buttons I didn't tell you about was a little heart with a plus down the bottom of it. That's where all the emojis hide, okay? So click that now, pick an emoji of your choice, or go crazy and use multiple ones. Um, but do a disgraceful amount of emojis while I tell you a bit more about Duff, okay? Don't stop until the end. If you're ready, set, go. Okay. New Yorker right now, Canadian by birth, Duff MacDonald is no stranger to the written word. His name originates from the anglicised form of Gaelic word derv, meaning dark and swarthy, which is ironic because in reality, Duff's a bit of a seeker of truth and light. Duff doesn't shy away from lofty topics, writing multiple books that have focused on exploring explosive and controversial topics surrounding McKinsey and Harvard Business School, along with biographies and frictionless commerce before writing his latest, Tickled, a common sense guide to the present moment. A journalist for the likes of Vanity Fair, Wired, New York Magazine and several others, Duff isn't just a whiz with a keyboard, he's also a successful podcaster in his own right, with two seasons of How to Tickle Yourself podcast now under his belt, which helped him write the new book. Duff, what did I miss out of your bio that you think listeners can't die without knowing about yourself? Uh, that, the only thing I would add to it is uh, we got 12 chickens during quarantine, so now I'm a chicken farmer. Or actually, more oh. my wife is. But Very uh, cool. No, uh, that's it. I was, I've been a business journalist for most of my career uh, up until um, uh, Tickled, which is a huge departure for me. So it's a different kind of book. Definitely. I want to talk about that later on. One question, though. Did you start with 12 or are you just up to 12 now? Uh, we started with um, 10, but uh, the people who claimed to be able to sex them were... were uh, <laughs> Not they did it. They did not know how to sex. Them. Seven of the ten were rooster, so six of them had to go, oh. and uh, so now we're back up to uh, one rooster and eleven hens. I'd say they breed like rabbits, but that's that's a different that's a different story altogether. Um, what was the first thing you thought of when you woke up this morning? What was the first thing I thought of when I woke up this morning? Um, I had uh, we. I just came back from Atlanta last night, where we went down to do a book reading, and this morning I woke up thinking of my favorite coffee that we make. Uh, we do the kind of bullet coffee with a shot of uh, oil in it, which just oh, yeah. makes it so superior. And I hadn't had it in like four days. So as soon as I woke up, I was like, "I'm having that this morning." <laughs> are, you, are you a big fan of bullet coffee then i never have gotten into it i've tried it several times every time i'm like oh not for me i i i love the taste of it for whatever reason so yeah i'm a fan i don't know if i would you're never gonna find me uh uh g giving someone a speech about what it's gonna do for them health wise i just my i leave that to my wife i love the taste <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Um, before we talk about Tickled in more detail, um, as we mentioned just previously, why did you choose to write about presence? It is a very different topic to your other books. Uh, for a very simple reason. Uh, early on in quarantine, uh, I, I sort of went through uh, some experiences that I'm sure uh, were not unique. And at first, it was not, wasn't clear to me what was happening to me. Uh, it was none of it was it felt bad or it was very unusual. And uh, over the course of a couple of weeks, I suddenly realized I was like, oh, my God, this is presence. This is what presence feels like. And the reason I felt so unusual was, uh, you know, looking back, it's like I had never been present before. So uh, it's a far superior uh, mode of existence for me. And it just sort of trumped 
everything else I have ever written about or could even think of writing about. It's one of the most profound changes that I've ever experienced. So I figured I'd write about it in a book. Uh, it, it certainly is an interesting read. Um, it, I had to put it down in several places just to sort of stop and take in what I just read. Um, very few books sort of get me like that. Normally I just sort of plow through them. Um, it's a, it's a big question, but why is being present so important in 2021 moving into 2022? Well, I don't know if, if you want to date it. I think what I would say is that uh, you want to be present in your own existence at all times, if possible. And uh, m- maybe a better way to come at your question is, um, are we less present than we were before? Uh, I can only speak for myself, but I think we do live in the age of distraction, right? Our, um, everybody's got their phones out. Uh, we're, um, uh, our need for novelty seems to be at an all-time high. Uh, there's a lot of talking at each other as opposed to with each other, all of which suggests to me uh, and again, I only speak from experience that um, we're not doing a good job of inhabiting our own existence. And, uh, you know, it's one of the main reasons I would say is that we are voluntarily uh, distracting ourselves and making it hard to be in the moment. I would agree with that. And I think technology is doing a bang up job of helping us maximize that, if that makes sense. I think Instagram's just announced that they're going to voluntarily put in a do you need a 30 minute break uh, from when using the app, which tells you a lot about their mentality and how, you know, they're thinking about attention. But um, yeah, I definitely agree with you that I think technology is one of the most um, disruptive, but also can help people do a lot of good things as well. But more more often than not, does disrupt a flow and that sort of stuff. So so, um, so on, on that note, we were in the airport in Atlanta yesterday. Uh, I have just written a book about presence, and I think about it all the time now. It's my new thing. I think about trying to stay present for most of the day. And sitting in the airport, I was reading a great book, and I must have picked up my phone to look at Instagram 20 times in an hour. For no reason. It wasn't because the book wasn't interesting. It wasn't because I had nothing to do. I was literally in the middle of reading a book. And I found myself, I was like, oh, my God, what has happened to us? Where I, I stop reading something interesting to check something pointless. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to get on here and go on an anti-tech rant. I think tech is just an indication of our generalized state of distraction. Um, and as you say, uh, the, the connectivity aspects of the internet and stuff like what we're doing right here are wonderful, uh, Mm. when when used to, to learn and educate and connect, but we just got to be careful because we're, we're having trouble sitting still. And if you can't sit still, you can't be present. Definitely. Um, your, your two previous books before Tickled, The Golden Passport and The Firm, focused on really sort of negative outcomes or our obsession with analytical forces that sort of tend to dominate society a bit. Tickled is a complete, um, almost a, a role reversal from that. Can you explain what being tickled is? You know, it's likely most people, it's not what they're thinking. Sure. Uh, so um, I, as you point out, I have been a business journalist for my career. And uh, increasingly in recent years, sort of uh, very critical, uh, pointing out uh, what I thought were the failures of others or uh, short of that, just pointing out where I thought thinking uh, other people's thinking was not uh, what it should be. Uh, And here I was to save the day, tell you how to think. And um, in early quarantine with... uh, distractions reduced to almost zero the calendar uh you know in the west or in in modern society we live uh, on a linear calendar right we think we it's today's tuesday you think what am i doing thursday and um when the calendar was obliterated right i didn't have any appointments be nowhere to go suddenly time went cyclical on me and uh, as a feeling, 
right? It wasn't it wasn't me suddenly intellectualizing and deciding uh, to think about time in a certain way. I suddenly felt that I was inhabiting the now more. And looking back at it, it was like because I, the calendar had had disappeared. So I didn't have anything to think about. You know, the only thing, thing that mattered in terms of time were the cycles, right? What time of day is it? and Or what season was it? It no longer really mattered what day of the week it was. And when I sort of realized that I was sort of sinking more deeply into my own existence, I actually could feel that uh, uh, things were like I was more joyous. And I was talking to my wife and I was like, what does joy feel like? We never really, you know, people would say it feels like joy. And I, I was like, you know what? Actually, I think it tickles. And I started following that idea a little further. And, you know, think about it. I have four tickles, right? Uh, play with your, um, feed your body, feed your mind, play with your body, play with your mind. So feed your body is just food or drink, right? Good food tickles your tongue. Uh, feed your mind is learning, right? When you hear something that, uh, an idea that resonates with you, it kind of tickles. It feels good. When someone says something, you're like, oh, yeah, I get that. And, uh, play with your body is movement uh, and up to including sex, right? Which has the ultimate tickle. And then play with your mind is creation. And anyone who, uh, you know, we've all done it. But those people who focus more on uh, um, uh, the process of creativity, they know what it feels like. It feels good to create things. So I ultimately said, oh, my gosh. All these things, right, the fundamental sense experiences of life all tickle if you're really paying attention. And then the second part of the of the thesis went one step deeper and said that behind all of them is actually the tickle of existence itself. And, you know, why do we why do why do we all not kill ourselves in moments of despondency that we've all had. Why does everyone not just say, that's it, I'm done, suicide's the answer? It's because there's something fundamentally delightful about existence. And uh, you want to, there is a part of you that wants to continue to exist. And I call that in the book, The Tickle of Existence. So to sort of wrap this up, what happened was I went from being about ready to write another business book criticizing other people to realizing that I had everything I needed and that it was bringing me joy and it felt like life was ticklish to me again. And I decided to try and share what that was and, you know, get it out in a book. Very nice. Uh, you, you sped ahead there. I was going to ask you about the four tickles a little bit later, but that's cool. They, they're very good. I was only going to say give up one, but you gave up all four. So there you go. Um, it's come up a few times already this season, um, but critical thinking is a key part of being better, it finds. Um, in Tickled, you quote William uh, Dershowitz, uh, excellent sheep, the idea that we've uh, got a bunch of educated idiots who don't know how to answer the big questions or find a sense of purpose. Um how big of a problem is this? Is it worldwide? Is it more prevalent in Western culture? You know, one of the points I make in the book is that we do so much thinking about uh, what other people are doing wrong, that that is also a source of our inability to be present, right? If you are sitting here, so I'm sitting alone in my office right now, um, if I were uh, writing the way I used to write, I'd be writing something thinking about what some idiot somewhere else doesn't understand, right? And what I realized in the writing of this book is that I have to, if it's not, ha if it's not what's happening to you at this very moment, right, then it's not, for all intents and purposes, real, right? There's only now. The only thing that matters to you or me or anyone is what is happening to us right now. And the reason for that is because there now is all there is, right? We have these ideas of the past and the future, but the past is gone. You'll never see it again. So it's not real. The future has never existed at all. 
we live in, in an eternal now. And one thing I realized in writing the book was that I had spent, a, I had squandered a lot of that now, of my nows, thinking about what other people were doing wrong. And it distracts you from the sheer awesomeness of your own existence. So back to your question, is there too much of this overeducated uh, elites who can't answer the questions? I can tell you that in my case, yes, there was too much of it. I was one of those people. And um, suddenly during quarantine, I snapped out of it. So in my life at present, there are not too many of those people because there's only one of me and I think I'm doing it right. And I, I think that the more we focus, and again, I'm a great example of this. I've written book length treatments criticizing other people, page after page after page. So I'm not actually uh, pointing the finger at anyone here other than myself, but we do too much of that. We, we judge too many other people. Right. And when you judge or compare anything, what you're essentially doing is saying um, that this existence that I am part of would be better if you would behave differently. Right. My existence would be better if you would stop acting the way that you do. And it's kind of pointless. Right. Your existence is within your control. You can make it whatever you want. You can decide what you're going to do next. You don't want to spend as much time as we, a lot of us do. And I know I did myself um, thinking that other people need to be acting differently. It's squandering your own existence. Definitely. Um, I'm trying to think where to sort of go next. Okay, you start um, You start the book talking about our obsession with measurement, precision. Um can you explain why they're both so damaging when often we're told you need more information, I need this, I need that? What, what's the bigger picture here? Okay, so as a business journalist, I spent a lot of time making quantitative arguments, right? And, uh, you know, an easy example is covering the stock market. You say the stock market went from uh, A to B today, a gain of 10%. And while that may be true, uh, what it does is mathematics is certain, right? So two plus two equals four. Why? Because we designed it to be that way. So if you spend a lot of your time dealing in certainties, which we can tend to, you really can only find in the realm of quantification, right? The rest of life is not certain. Life is flux. You are flux. Um, so the more time we spend thinking about uh, quantified attributes of anything, um, the more time you, you delude yourself into thinking that certainty is both attainable and desirable. I'll give you an example. Like if uh, I'm looking out into my yard here at, at a bunch of trees, I live upstate New York, right? If you and I are sitting beside each other uh, at a beautiful oak tree and I say, oh my God, that tree's so beautiful. Um, tell me about it. You're not going to tell me how many leaves are on it. Uh, even if you had the actual number and it were true, why would you not do that? Because it's not going to give you any, it's not communicate meaning, right? So we, and we make the same mistake. And again, I'm talking about myself. We make the same mistake in life, right? We think of ourselves in, in quantified measures, right? What am I worth? What do I weigh? How many likes did it get? What's in my bank account? Um, what was my time in that marathon? And every time we quantify something, and I make this point in the book, right? The goal is unity. You want unity both in your own existence, so there's coherence, but we want unity among the rest of us, right? We don't want division. And as soon as we, anytime you count or measure something, that is, the suggestion in doing so is contrary to unity, right? Because if, if we think that we need to count things and compare them, then we're talking about two different things. My thing is more than your thing. My amount is larger than your amount. And we're engaging in these comparisons. When to go back to my earlier point, you should be focused on the fact that you exist and that it's amazing, 
And you should be figuring out using your senses what's happening to you right now and then deciding what to do about it. You don't need to count anything in order to decide what you're going to do right now. Uh, You know, other than stuff like, you know, if you're assessing a quantity in the present, like setting a table, how many people are coming over for dinner? Of course, you need to know you need to know that number. But for most of life, when we count stuff, we are distracting ourselves from the matter at hand. And not only that, you are squandering the opportunity for creative freedom. And let me give you a quick example, and I don't want to get political or anything, but take COVID, right? We have, this is the greatest data collection effort the world has ever seen. And it has told us almost nothing of of meaning for any of us, right? So I went inside when quarantine started, stayed inside until it felt safe to come out. I've worn a mask because it seems the appropriate thing to do. I got a vaccine because it seemed like a smart thing to do and I want to go see concerts, right? There are no numbers that informed any of those decisions. They're all common sense. And yet, how many COVID-related data points do you think each of us has consumed? It's got to be in the millions at this point. And they're all just because we cannot stop counting everything around us. I think part of that is to do with fear, isn't it? You know, most people have never lived through a pandemic. I know your point goes much larger than that. But how do we stop ourselves doing that? You know, the the literal physicality of like, okay, I need to stop doing that. Is it read less news? Is it read different news? Or is it, you know, just literally take five minutes and meditate? what's, what's What's the answer there? I think all the above. I think read less news for sure. Right. I talk about this in the book that uh, we have convinced ourselves that reading the news about what happened yesterday keeps us informed. But what you're doing, to my earlier point, is you're squandering your now. Right. What you exist now and you can do anything you want within, you know, some constraints. What we don't want to do, as often as a lot of us do, is spend that now reading about stuff that's already happened, right? There goes your now again. Uh, Meditation, for sure. It teaches you to quiet the mind. Uh, One, I have a chapter in the book called The Trap of Time. And uh, um, the point I make there is one of the reasons we find it so hard to be present, kind of self-evident, is... um, that we keep spinning between the past and the future, right? Um, The discussion of herd immunity last year was a great one. It's right, like, of course, it'd be great if we were all immune. But that sort of fixating on, well, maybe it'll happen by June, uh, led a lot of people to discount the present and say, okay, when June happens, everything will be okay again. They're squandering their now again. So... Meditation helps you stay in the present, uh, but I would also recommend, uh, so combining the two topics we've just talked about here, quantification and time, right? Numbers tend to pull you out of the present because numbers beg to be compared. A great example of that is uh, what do you weigh, right? If, 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 if you think about your weight, the, the better way to think about it is do I feel healthy? Right. Do I need to exercise more or eat less or whatever? When you when you start quantifying stuff, I go, I weigh 180 pounds and it immediately pulls you out of the present. What should I weigh? What do I want to weigh? What did I used to weigh? What do I plan to weigh? So whenever we quantify stuff, we tend to pull ourselves into imaginary pasts or futures. So one way to stay present that I have found to be very useful is to start treating numbers uh, as if they need to show me ID at the door, right? A number shows up and I say, do I need to care about you? If not, right? Like if it's not paying for something at the grocery store or, 
you know, how many miles do we need to drive to get to the location we're going to? If it's just numbers that we're contemplating that lead us to contemplate change, it makes presence very difficult. So I would one of my big piece of advice in the book is to is to suggest that we start treating numbers more as hostile um, uh, uh, sort of visitors into our consciousness than we normally think of them as, and we welcome them in all day long. I love that. Um, you talk about constructs a lot, and I am numbers you just mentioned, language, news. Is tickled really an argument for simplicity? Do you think we can ever be truly tickled by complex things, or are we just kidding ourselves? That's uh, a great point. For me, uh, simplicity, a newfound appreciation of simplicity has uh, been the source of a fundamental change in my life. Uh, I talk in the, I mention in the book that, you know, most complex things uh, in life are man-made. We invent them, whether they're systems or machines or complicated rationales for things, and that most of life uh, is actually quite simple. I don't mean stuff like um, medicine or like I, I am uh, completely admire technical and creative um, achievement. But what I'm talking about in the book is about, you know, when you're going through your day, there shouldn't be that many situations you find yourself in that suddenly take on a level of complexity that renders you incapable of making a choice right i i say in the book if there's if there is only now uh then you only have one thing you ever need to do in your whole life ever uh same as me same as anyone you need to decide what am i going to do right now and you can, if you want to complicate that and make it the of extremely difficult decision, you know, that's your choice, but you will be squandering that now, right? It's like people who sit down in a restaurant and can't figure out what to order. And it takes them however long. And I'm thinking of my ex-wife here. I'm not making fun of her, but she and I were totally different. I could decide in five seconds. She would take, would take 10 minutes and then change her mind while she was ordering. There's a level of complexity that we put in on our, put on ourselves, which is entirely unnecessary. So while complexity is welcome in uh, automotives, like how cars work, how planes work, how our most sophisticated machines work and our communications, when it comes to what you are going to do right now, I would suggest that the less complexity, the 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 better the life. There's um, a lot of parallels with the Buddhist way of life in Tickled. Um, was that was that on purpose? You only mentioned Buddha twice, but I noticed that you agreed with him both times. <laughs> uh, so I am not uh, Buddhist, um, but there for sure uh, he you know, like all great thinkers had some really f fascinating things to say. It The book has an undertone of Eastern philosophy, absolutely. Uh, and that derives from a meditation and yoga practice. Uh, but the, you know, t t in order to just sort of um, summarize those in a few words, if I can, it's all about the self, right? What I One of the things I realized last year is I'd been spending most of my life uh, look, you know, looking at external things and uh, critiquing other people. And one of the uh, central discoveries I made last year is it's it's all you. It's always all you. If you have a with someone else, uh, it's you. It's right. You can solve every single problem you ever have, you know, outside of you know, someone breaking into your house and attacking you out of nowhere. I just mean in the, in our day to day, in how life is going, right? It is all up to you. You get to do you, you get to decide what you're going to do next. And we spend a lot of time. And I was first and foremost among this of feeling limited and thinking it was someone else's fault. 
right? A great example is I was a business writer. This book is not a business book. And it never even occurred to me that I could write a different book than a, than a business book. And it was kind of bumming me out because I wasn't enjoying it the last couple books. And I felt trapped. Why did I feel trapped? Because I had somehow convinced myself that I couldn't do whatever I wanted to do. And um, I think a lot of what Buddhism and most of the yogas would tell you is that it's all in the self. All you need to do is center yourself in your own existence, increase your awareness, and you will see that life has basically got infinite possibility in it. You can do so many things that never occurred to you if you would only pay attention to what is happening to you. I definitely saw um, a lot of parallels in there for sure. One thing sort of struck me when I was reading it, I was, and you sort of touched upon it a little bit there. How much does imposter syndrome come into being tickled? I don't think you mentioned it specifically in the book, but I'm hearing it more and more from people. Um, is it a hindrance to being tickled or just a safety system to sort of keep us out of areas where we probably shouldn't go? No, totally. I, t I, I'm sure it is because what imposter syndrome is at its core being concerned with what other people are thinking, right? So one of the, the points I make in TIG is um, that it's, I call it, uh, a friend of mine gave me this phrase. Um, it's not mine. Uh, it was called the, the indeterminacy of thought. I can never know what you are thinking. And you, like, for d precisely or exactly, and you can never know what I'm thinking. We use language to try to surmount that indeterminacy. But in situations where we're not actually telling each other what we're thinking, to spend any time at all thinking that you know what someone else is thinking is not only... Um, uh, futile, because you can never know what they're thinking, uh, but also, again, squanders your own uh, present moment. So, um, and the thing is, if the other thing about yoga that will tell you, if it's all the self, it doesn't, the, the, your thoughts about what other people are thinking are beside the point. The only thing that matters is that you have awareness and are making decisions about on you know based on what you think the right thing to do is, and uh, they call it dharmic uh, dharma in yoga. But it's basically as long as you are trying to pay attention to your own existence and making good decisions, meaning um, not um, uh, being a bad person to either yourself or someone else, then you're good. Right. And if you spend if you spend too much time thinking about what someone else might be thinking about you, it distracts you from your ability to make the right decisions for yourself. It's um, it's counterproductive and, and pointless. Mm, no, I agree. Um, I was surprised with the amount of Harry Potter references in the book. <laughs> Must admit, I wasn't expecting it. Um, you described being um, present reading Harry Potter to your daughter in the book, um, but that's not the same as fixing a spreadsheet, say. Um, or is it? Do we need to be present all the time at work? What if it's monotonous work? Is it okay not to be present sometimes? Well, um, look, I'm. So the Harry Potter thing came when I was I was reading it with my daughter last year, and I realized that in the over the course of seven books. Right. It's all about growing up and learning all the important things in life, uh, you know, whether it's courage, fear, love, uh, all, you know, everything. I realized that um, if you wanted to a sort of source book uh, that you could go to uh, if you wanted to quote about anything that the Harry Potter series could do it for you. The other one I think, and I didn't quite make the same point in the book is Bob Dylan, right? It's I'm a huge Dylan fan. If no matter what you are talking about, Dylan has sung something about it. So I use the Potter uh, books uh, just to show that, right? It's all just stories. And uh, as a serious nonfiction writer, 
in my career, I spent a lot of time sourcing and footnoting this important paper or this big piece of research or this thing here. And, you know, I had a book that had a thousand footnotes in it. It nearly killed me. And for this one, I was like, what have I been doing? I can, I can source hair on all this. Um, so back to your question, um, is, can we be present at work even if the work is drudgery? I think one thing I have learned last year is that, um, you know, there is only th this existence that you have, right? To think that um, w we do ourselves a disservice when we think, oh, I would this, I would much rather uh, want a different existence than this one. And again, I'm not talking about people who are having really, really tough times, but when, when, for, for those of us who have sort of a choice in how we go about our day and how we choose to feel about it, the more we can focus on the, the sheer glory of the fact that we even exist at all, right? This was, this was a revelation to me. It's like, oh my God, I've been complaining about shit my whole life in the context of a cosmic miracle. Right. Think of all the things that had to happen for you to happen, not just the, the, the moment of your conception, but all the things that had to lead your parents to that place and all the things that had to lead the people the, all, all, all the way back. Right. You are a miracle. It's a miracle that any of us exists. So when we get um, bored, doing is losing sight of the miracle of our own existence and i think we just need to do or sorry again a lot of this book is me saying i'm this is what i've learned myself i've become better at reminding myself of that miracle and it makes life so much easier when you're not you know sitting there as if you had the right to send your miracle back into the kitchen because it was too well done there's only one existence. Make the best of it. You mention um, courage several times in the book. Um, that's a concept I always need to say and harder to manifest. Um, any tips to help people be more courageous in their lives and at work? Uh, sure. Less thinking, right? We think too much. So uh, when uh, we overthink situations and we end up sort of running risk calculations in our head, what's the right move here? And when we do that, we obscure uh, and cover up the voice from the heart, right? Your intuition, all your best ideas, uh, and I, I, all my best ideas, and I'm sure most of yours, if not all of yours, all of them came from moments of clarity, not through force of intellect, right? So what clarity comes from quiet, clarity comes from awareness, it's when you can get the most, uh, uh, you know, the best grasp on any particular situation. What courage is, is not thinking. It's doing what needs to be done, right? And the way that you will sort of improve your ability to be courageous, it worked for me in writing this book, was, you know, I didn't sit there and go, oh, my God, can I write this book? Should I write this book? What will happen with this book? I had a moment where I was like, I have something I need to say. I'm going to say it and I will figure out what to do with it, you know, once I'm done. And it can't, the whole process for me was I didn't overthink what I was doing. And I think courage just in general is stop overthinking everything. Quiet your mind. You will see and you will hear. You will know what to do if you're talking over yourself. I think that's a good point. I think the one, the one, one word that I kept sort of like hearing in my head as I was sort of like reading, um, which is probably not being in flow and focusing and that sort of thing, but it did get me thinking because I was sort of writing, I went along. Um, the pressure, the pressure that is put upon us by other people and the pressure we put upon ourselves. And that was the one thing that I sort of kept going through. I was like, who is actually telling me that pressure is there or exists or needs to be there? And that was one thing that I sort of took away from the book. Um, I know you're pretty rough on experts in the book in general, but how can we be better experts um, or how can experts be better? Should we stop using that word in favor of another one? 
Yeah, I make that point in the book. I that I think we uh, need more specialists uh, and less experts. And the distinction I make is that a specialist is someone who uh, knows how to do things. They have a craft. An expert is someone who talks about things, who analyzes and forecasts things. Um, but to your point about pressure, uh, you have a choice in every moment, right? What we what we like to do is when we uh, don't make a choice that somewhere inside us we want to make, we want to we want to put the responsibility for that lack of choice or some other choice on someone else and say, I felt under pressure. Um, only time you feel under pressure is if you're not present, because if you're present, you're fine. Uh, and, but back to my earlier point, um, we do this to ourselves, or at least for me, I did it all to myself. And I know that to be true because when it all when it, everything lifted last year and suddenly I felt um, and a, a kind of liberated feeling that I'd never had before, it wasn't because someone else had do stopped doing something. The only person who had stopped doing anything was me. So um, we we delude ourselves into thinking that the pressures that are put upon us are put there by other people. Uh, you get to decide what you're going to do in each and every moment, right? So the only person pressuring you to not do one thing in favor of another or to do one thing in, in, in favor of another is you, right? So you got to take the pressure off yourself. Um, it's probably an unfair question, but do you have a 30-second or less trick that people can practice to increase their mental strength or gaining a better sense of presence? Yeah, um, there is uh, one of the things that the yogis recommend for finding a state of presence is uh, we, we are not our thought, right? We get, we get confused into thinking that we are our own thoughts, right? So say, for example, someone walks into the room and you're envious of them and you say to yourself, oh, my God, that asshole's here. So you get tied, you get sucked into thinking that that thought is you. And it's, you know, it's obviously not a nice thought. And one of the ways that the yogis talk about for to, um, to get back to the self is to say to yourself, I am not my thoughts. And when you do that, the thought itself disconnects from you. Like you can actually feel it. So if you say, if you say to yourself, oh my God, I'm a failure, blah, 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 you say, I am not my thoughts. And it disconnects the self, the eternal self, which is from the sort of um, swirling, uh, chaotic mess of thoughts that come through our minds each and every day. So if you say to yourself, I am not my thoughts, uh, it'll be very helpful to start aging from the negativity that you, uh, you know, do to yourself without even realizing it. Oh, I like that. I'm going to be using that from tomorrow, I think, or from this evening even. Um, right. Okay, folks, it is time for Duff's Desert Island Tweets, the part of mouthwash where the guest picks a tweet or two that's changed their mind or way of thinking in some way. So if you turn your attention to the nest, you will see a tweet with a picture of Bob Dylan up um, that says, ah, but I was much older then. I'm younger than that now. Bob, why did you pick this? Uh, Bob, sorry. <laughs> Duff, why did you pick this one about Bob Dylan? So um, I spent a lot of my career explaining stuff to people, right? The self-appointed explainer. Uh, I spent a lot of my career uh, in judgment. And uh, kids don't do that, right? Uh, youth is about spontaneity. It's about enjoying the moment. Uh, 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 kids want to know... Um, 
you know, they're, they're not too worried about being an authority on anything. So Bob Dylan has this song called My Back Pages. And the quote is, ah, but I was so much older than I'm younger than that now. When you relieve yourself of the burdens of distraction and a lack of presence and a desire to be right and a desire to criticize, you will you can get closer and closer to this tickle of existence and it will make you feel young again. I'm 50 years old uh, last year. I feel younger than I have in years. And it's because I am spending almost no time at all judging others, thinking what others are doing wrong. I'm just enjoying what's happening to me, right? We all know it. If If you're in a stressful situation, it's exhausting. Remove the stress, remove the judgment and remove all the distractions you'll feel young again definitely i really love the book duff uh, i think it's a solid place to leave the conversation for tonight um thank you for being a part of mouthwash any final advice or thoughts for the listeners when it comes to being uh, better present no they want to read tickled of course, of course. Uh, and um, i've got a podcast too called how to tickle yourself uh, which you can find on forms. It's sort of the book uh, in a more discussion format. Um, and we go through a lot of the ideas that we went through today. And it's really just about finding how to find a little more joy in your life. And the beauty is it's, it's not, it's not, it's, it's where you are, right? It's all you. So the search it will not be a long one. You just got to look inside um, I figured out how to do it. And it's, um, you know, the sense of freedom has been extraordinary. Definitely. Pick up a copy wherever good books are sold uh, and make sure you check out that podcast as well. Um, I've got an amazing uh, cohort of people on this uh, season for Mouthwash. Google Xers, security experts, entrepreneurs, designers, speechwriters, best-selling authors like Duff, big tech, Silicon Valley startups, all the way through. To- um, if it's important to being a better person, business or planet, we're going to be talking about it. Up next is Walmart's Anna's uh, Gnarch Neckman, and she, we're going to be talking better brands. She should know she's helped build one of the world's largest. Uh, so We'll see you back here at 8 p.m. GMT, 3 p.m. EST, and noon PST. Or if you prefer, just let us remind you when we're going live. Thanks to the clever folks over at Norby. Just head over to mouthwashshow.com, pop in your mobile and cell, and boom, snazzy little text message will wing its way to you right before we start. Uh, Who knows, there may even be a pun or two in the text, too. I couldn't possibly say. Once again... My thanks to the superb Duff McDonald. Follow him on Twitter, Duff McDonald, and check out his Tickled and his other work wherever good books are sold. Find out more over at theduffproject.com. And please show your appreciation one more time with a shower of emoji for Duff as the last place is out. Thank you for joining. Thanks to Ecology for planting a tree for every one of you who came up. And thanks to Spaces Dashboard for helping good audio be found. I've been Paul Armstrong. This has been Mouthwash. Fresh chat that leaves you more confident only on Twitter Spaces. Thank <laughs> you.